Have you ever been in a place of despair and desperation, despondency and and wretchedness and, and you've been struggling, struggling with something that was perhaps taking you to the lowest ebb of your life? It was a a sad and a a mournful time, a time of struggling. Jesus Christ here is struggling in such a way. And as we talk about the fact that we all struggle at times, knowing that He went through it too can help us to finish strong. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Let's take our Bibles, please, and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, if you would, in the 26th chapter, where we were earlier today. And I have another thought. From this passage, another truth altogether different than what I was talking about earlier today. Matthew 26, we find the Lord Jesus Christ on His way to the cross, really just hours away. And we've been following Him through the three and a half year ministry of His his life. And now it's kind of coming down to the waning moments here. And He's going to the garden. We pick it up in Matthew 26 and in verse number 36. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here, and watch with me. And he went a little further, and fell on his face, and prayed, saying, O my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples, and findeth them asleep, and saith unto Peter, What? Could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time, and prayed, saying, O my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. We find here the Lord Jesus Christ struggling, struggling. You know, there are a few times in the life of Christ where I think he was vulnerable, if I might use that word. And I'm awful careful when I talk about a deity struggling, because I realize who I'm talking about here, and I don't want to be sacrilegious, but I know that when Christ had been fasting 40 days in the wilderness and the devil showed up, we could say he was somewhat physically famished and and vulnerable. But here's another place, and I think this would have to be the top place in his life when we would say he was very vulnerable. Because here he was feeling his humanity, if I might put it that way, and he was struggling. And so I'd like to use the same passage and talk about the fact that we all struggle at times. And we can draw some comfort in what Christ went through here. We all struggle at times. Let's pray before we begin. Our Heavenly Father, we ask you, dear Lord, to bless this time in your word. We pray that you would help us to be encouraged by realizing even the Lord of glory struggled and yet overcame. And Father, we can as well. Help us now to learn some truths here that would encourage and strengthen us. 
and use this time as a profitable way in our lives and in our church. We pray and ask it all now in Jesus' name. Amen. In the days of yesteryear of England, there was a young man actually back prior to the days of Gladstone when he was the Prime Minister of England. His name was Henry Fawcett. Henry Fawcett was out hunting with his dad one afternoon and his dad's rifle discharged accidentally and blinded Henry in both eyes for life. The, the damage was irreparable and he would never see again. Now before this happened, he was an ambitious young man. Everybody knew he had a bright future. But now he's blind for life. His father was out of his mind with grief. Just tore up over what he had done to his son. I'll finish that story in a little bit, but have you ever been in a place of despair and desperation, despondency and and wretchedness and, and you've been struggling, struggling with something that was perhaps taking you to the lowest ebb of, of your life. It was a, a sad and a, a mournful time. A time of struggling. Jesus Christ here is struggling in such a way. And as we talk about the fact that we all struggle at times, I want you to first of all see the situation here. In verse 36, the Bible says, Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, And saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. Notice the word Gethsemane there in verse number 36. Gethsemane. Why, that's a place today that's a stop on a Holy Land tour. That's where you'll find today the peddlers who are selling their wares, if you've ever been to Israel. Gethsemane, that's a place where you take pictures and, and the guide stops and he explains some things to you. Gethsemane. But originally, for the the Lord, it was a place of anguish. It was a place of bitterness. And He prayed into the night. Now, not too far from Gethsemane, as you come down the Mount of Olives, you go right by it there. That's where Jesus Christ made His triumphant entry into Jerusalem just a few days earlier. And the crowd was hailing Him. But soon they're going to be nailing Him. Notice, if you would, in verse 37. It says, And He took with Him Peter... And the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here, and watch with me. Notice it says in verse 37, he began to be sorrowful and very heavy. And you say, why was that? I explained that earlier today. He had just crossed over the brook Kidron and and saw the blood flowing through it that was coming out those conduits in the basement of the temple from the the sacrificial lamps who were being prepared for the Passover. I've seen those conduits, by the way. I've been down the basement of the temple. And and they they drained right out into the brook Kidron and, and filled that brook with blood. And as he crossed over it, he saw it. And in his anguish, knew shortly his own blood would would be shed on the terrain of the Judean soil there. And so we find in verse number 37, he says he's sorrowful and very heavy. In verse 38, he says, my soul is exceeding sorrowful. Notice this, even unto death. Those aren't idle words, folks. He almost died in the garden. And we we, we read that so flippantly and we miss that, but you've heard of death by shock before. I've even known of people to die of shock. There was a family that I had met only one time and, and read in the, the, the Grand Forks Herald within a matter of months how they had been out snowmobiling on Maple Lake and, and it was about this time of the year and the ice wasn't quite thick enough and, and the sled went through the ice and the dad and the two or three kids went under and they drowned and the mother, soaking wet, crawled up and, and, and froze to death on the edge of the ice there in shock over what she had just seen. Imagine dying of shock. 
Jesus Christ says, my soul is sorrowful even unto death. There have been folks who have died of fright. We use the expression scared to death. There are folks who have had heart attacks and anxiety and, and literally died over being anxious. The, the emotional trauma is so great, and that's where Christ was here. This is Gethsemane before Golgotha. He's suffering there. His soul is, is crushed in grief and agony here and trauma. Notice in verse 39, it says, And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it be possible... Let this cup pass from me. This cup pass from me. There's been a lot of debate down through the years what this cup is. You know, you can open commentaries, as I'm sure this preacher has over here, and and you can read different opinions about the cup. I'm going to tell you what I think the cup is. No doubt I'll get some emails or whatever when it's on the radio. but, But what is this cup? Well, I'll tell you what I think this cup is. I think it's the cup of sin. I think it's the the sin of all time, of all humankind, poured out on Christ there in the utter darkness, there when He hung on Calvary's cross. Because we read in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that God the Father hath made Him, Jesus Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin. Now Christ was sinless, but God made Him to become sin so that sin could be punished when Christ swung in the nails of Calvary there. And He made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin. And so Jesus Christ literally had to take on our sin upon Himself. I think the reason He said, My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? And His voice pierced through the blackness there as He hung on the cross is because God had to forsake Him because He had become sin. And the Bible tells us in Habakkuk 1 and verse 13 of God that Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil and canst not look on iniquity. And that's why at the noonday... The sun went black and the universe went dark and you couldn't see Christ writhing in anguish and pain there. And I think God took the cup of, of sin and poured it on His Son there in His Son. And when and Christ became sin, God was of purer eyes than to behold that. And He could not look upon that iniquity. And that's why Jesus said, My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? And that's why praying in the garden here, Christ was in such trauma and duress, knowing that for the first time in eternity, past or present, He was going to be separated from the Father. I don't think it was the cowering of the nails. He could do that. But the thought of being separated from His Father. Now, we read things like this, and, and we go through struggles ourselves, and we endure these heartaches and, and anguish, And we know there's verses in the Bible that say, Great peace have they which love thy law. Nothing shall offend them. And verses that talk about the peace of God that passeth all understanding. And trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not unto thine own understanding. And and thou wilt keep him in perfect peace. And so on and so forth. And, And we read those verses and it almost makes us feel guilty. How come I can't get out of this funk? How come I cannot get over this cloud that is over me? And we know the verses are there and what we ought to be doing. But, you know, some of those verses were written by guys like Isaiah, who struggled himself. Some of those verses were written by guys like David. If you read the Psalms, you know he went through the the gloom and the doom. And, And even Paul, all these men who penned these things, they knew heartache, and they didn't come out of it just like that. In fact, if you read in Acts chapter 18, I think that Paul was in turmoil as he went into Corinth, and, and so much so that Christ had to show up and tell him, hold not your peace here, I have many souls here, because Paul was kind of perhaps feeling the beatings at that point and the discouragement, and, and Christ had to prop him up a little bit. Here we find Jesus Christ 
in anguish. And we would like to say that Christ was above struggling and Christ was above sorrow. But the fact of the matter, my friend, is the Bible says He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Isaiah 53.3 He carried a burden. Now notice in verse 39, it says, And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. He says, Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And that was not easy for him to do. You know, we can focus so much on his deity, and I'm all for that. Uh, I preach messages and series on the deity of Christ, but we can focus so much on his deity that we forget his humanity. He was as human as we are. And don't you think for a moment he wasn't struggling about going to that cross and drinking that cup. It was a bitter cup. We read in Luke chapter 22 and verse 44 that he being in an agony prayed more earnestly and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling to the ground. That's something none of us have ever experienced. I mean, literally hemorrhaging internally, if you will, under the sweat glands and the pores and, and the, the, the tiny capillaries, the, the blood vessels bursting and mixing in with the sweat and, and literally sweating drops of blood. Hematidosis, it's called. It's a medical term. None of us have ever known that kind of duress. Now notice in verse 40, it says, And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep and saith unto Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. Now, it's easy for us to read this. We know the story so well. I mean, it goes back to our childhood. But let me just say, there's nothing, there was nothing like crucifixion. They configured the body of the victim in such an awkward position that every movement he tried to make only brought forth excruciating pain. The whole body hung on jagged square nails driven through the most sensitive parts of the body, assuring torture. The Romans were experts at this. They knew how to even hinder circulation. And the victim would experience this, this raging thirst. The, the flies were thick around that smell of that victim dying there. The agony of the cross was almost beyond words. Indescribable. Notice in verse 43, it says, And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again, and prayed the third time, saying, the same words. I wondered to myself this last week if he prayed them out loud or just almost in a groan said these things. I mean, a few days earlier he'd been hailed as he came riding into Jerusalem on a, on a donkey fulfilling the words of Zechariah the prophet. And now you could hear that mob forming even yet in the background in the distance there. And he's, he's about to be beaten and he's about to be nailed and he's getting no support from his very closest friends who would all forsake him that very night. So that's the situation. But secondly, we see the susceptibility. The susceptibility. There was a fellow by the name of, of Sir Samuel Baker who told the story of a group of Egyptians who were going through the Nubian desert many years ago. And I don't know the details of it, but somehow uh, things got so desperate that they were out of water and they, they had so many miles to trek till they could get to the next uh, water, wherever it was. And they had an Egyptian guide that was leading them to that place. And he, he, he stepped up the pace. He said, we're, we're going to just barely make it, but we will make it if we just keep on going. 
Well, off in the, the distance, a few miles, there was what appeared to be a lake. This guide had been in that area many times. He knew it was a mirage. He knew there was no water there, but it was so convincing to that band of Egyptian men that they said, stop, there's water right there. And in their thirst and in their rage, they insisted on going, and the guide said, we can't lose the time. And they beat him to death. They beat the guide to death, and they ran toward the mirage and realized when they got there, it was just that. No water, and no guide, and nobody who knows now where the water is. You talk about a hopeless situation. You talk about utter despair. You ever face perplexity and puzzlement and doubt, dilemma? Have you ever faced the, the instability of, of, of a mystery that you spent all night struggling with trying to find the answer and, and you still couldn't find it and you were so heavy you couldn't sleep and you felt all alone? You know, if you've lived any length of time on planet Earth at all, you know what I'm talking about. We all struggle with questions. And life has to be more than just those, those gnawing times, those aching times of loneliness and obstacles and questions that, that don't seem to have any answers. And they linger. And, and you doubt. You begin to doubt. And, and the Bible reads like who's who when it comes to those who doubted and got to the place where they, well, they lapsed in faith. You know, the Bible mentions Abraham as a great man of faith. But Abraham doubted. In fact, he was promised this parcel of land and that his lineage and his descendants would inherit it and all that kind of thing. And he looked around and he didn't have any. And in Genesis 15.8, he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? Nothing's happening here. The years are ticking off. Whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? He didn't want to offend God. If you read Abraham, there's one thing you can't miss. He was a gracious man, and he was very appropriate, but he doubted. Of course, John the Baptist doubted, and we know that he had that time in his life when he got so low, languishing in that jail, and really no hope of ever getting out. And Just before he was beheaded as a result of a wicked, sensual dance, he's doubting that Christ is even the Messiah. Imagine that. And he sends some messengers to the Lord Jesus Christ, and they say in Matthew 11:3, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Now here's the greatest man who ever lived, according to Jesus Christ. Mere man, that is, next to Christ. And he even doubted that Christ was the Messiah. Now he's sitting high in heaven today, probably at the front of the line. But boy, he hit a point in his life where he was struggling, and struggling hard. You know, and it's easy for us to poo-poo a John the Baptist and, and, and tisk-tisk and point a finger and, and say, man, how could he have done something like that? But we weren't in his shoes, were we? You know, I have found that it's easy to preach when you're on the top side. And I've found that it's easy to counsel when, when everything's going right. Anyone will tell you it's easy to counsel married people when everything's going good in your marriage, or to counsel parents when everything's going good in your child rearing, and it's easy to counsel people financially when, when your finances are going well. And, you know, sometimes these preachers, we give each other advice, and that's all well and fine, but when you're in a low ebb, it's another whole story. When everything is beautiful, you can sing it. Everything is beautiful, remember? But when the fight is on, you know, it's another story, isn't it? When you're on the top side, it's one thing, but I'm telling you, John the Baptist was struggling at that time. You know, we find in the book of Acts chapter 12 that James is beheaded. And when Herod sought please the people, he took Peter. Let's just get the top dog. Boy, they like that. They'll really love Peter getting beheaded. 
And the church was praying for Peter in that upper room. And God worked a miracle, long story, but an angel got Peter out of the jail and Peter goes to that upper room and he knocks on the door and a damsel by the name of Rhoda hears him out there, a little flighty. She leaves him standing outside and she goes in and she tells everybody. In Acts 12.15, they said unto her, Thou art mad. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then said they, It is his angel. It's like, would somebody open the stinking door and find out for sure? But there they are having a prayer meeting that Peter would get out, and they don't believe it. They doubt that he did. The best Christians still doubt. The best Christians still despair. If I were to pick somebody in the Old Testament that would be a, 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 a giant of the faith, it would have to be Moses. I think the Jews even of the days of Christ would agree with that. And yet Moses had a time in his life when he got so sick of the, the harping and the nagging and the criticism and the people on his back that he asked God to kill him. And in Numbers 11.15, he said, If thou deal thus with me, in other words, God, if you're going to treat me this way, kill me, I pray thee, out of thy hand, if I have found favor in thy sight, and let me not see my wretchedness. That's pretty desperate words, aren't they? Kill me! Do me a favor! Dust me off! Rub me out! You know, we find others like Elijah. We know the story of him getting so discouraged that he wanted to die. 1 Kings 19.4, he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. Wanted to die. You know, we know Job really went through the mill and we can describe what he went through. But he said some pretty graphic words in Job 7 and verse 6. He said, My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and are spent without hope. And then he added, so that my soul chooseth strangling and death rather than my life. It's, God, just strangle me. Get rid of me. Life is without hope. Jonah felt that way. Jonah hit rock bottom. And in Jonah 4.3, he said, Therefore now, O Lord, I beseech thee, take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. These were great men. These were giants of the book. And yet they struggled, did they not? We were talking this last week about Jeremiah after the destruction of Jerusalem in 586, 587 B.C., right in there. And how he wrote the Lamentations. And in Lamentation 3.18, Jeremiah said, My strength and my hope is perished from God. I don't even get hope from above at this point anymore. My strength and my hope has even been cut off or perished from the Lord. We see our susceptibility. We're, we're vulnerable at such times. So we see the situation, the susceptibility, but what's the solution thirdly? Well, may I ask, does it not encourage you to know that these struggled even? And does it not encourage you even more so to know that even the Lord Jesus Christ had some of the very same struggles that we have? Now look in Hebrews chapter 4. Yet, of course, He was God in the flesh. Now, if we only focus on his deity, he's untouchable. And he just cruises through every obstacle. It would be no big deal if he just whipped through every trying situation. But we find out that he struggled. And he was a man of sorrows. And he was a man acquainted with grief. And notice here in Hebrews 4, this reminder, a familiar one, verse 15, which says, For we have not an high priest, speaking of Christ, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. Notice it says, we have not a high priest, speaking of Christ, 
which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. In other words, you turn it around, he can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. And he was in all points tempted like as we are. Note, and I'm glad the writer noted it, yet without sin. Now, we get to the place of sin, but Jesus said, Thy will be done. Back there in the garden, He was struggling, but He said, Thy will be done. He surrendered. We talked about that earlier today. Now, may I say to you, when we struggle, that's step number one. To bring relief as far as the solution goes, it brings relief when we just say, Thy will be done. It helps in the midst of our loneliness and our struggles to just say, God, I surrender. And life begins to have meaning and there's that peace that floods the soul when we just let God be God. Now, doesn't mean it's going to get instantly easier. It didn't for Christ. It doesn't mean that there's instant relief. It doesn't mean that the enemies are going to go away. Christ's enemies didn't go away. It doesn't mean the issue will go away. That wasn't true in Christ's case at all. The problem was still there. The cross was still there. But the mindset was different. It was different. Have you ever had something, and, and really, it's all in how you... You look at it or the attitude you have toward it. You're struggling with it and then you finally say, Thy will be done. And you trust God with it. You give it over. You surrender. I I did that in something even just recently. There's a peace there. Now notice across the page in Hebrews 5 and in verse 5. It says, So also Christ glorified not Himself to be made an high priest, but He that said unto Him, Thou art My Son, Today have I begotten thee. In other words, Christ didn't glorify Himself, but the one who said this, God the Father did. He glorified Him. And in verse 6, as He saith also in another place, that is, the Father to the Son, Thou art a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. Now notice verse 7. Who, speaking of Christ, in the days of His flesh, this was written years after, when He had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears, unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Notice the semicolon says, the thought keeps on going here, but I want to stop it and ask you when verse 7 took place. When did verse 7 actually happen? In the days of his flesh, when he offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him. When did that happen? Well, we were just reading about it a moment ago, Matthew 26. That's when it happened, in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus Christ said, Thy will be done. And He had hope. By the way, that's what we need. That's what we need. We cannot live without it. We've got to have hope. Many years ago, there was a young Midwestern lawyer who really hit rock bottom. His bouts of depression were so awful. He wrote in his journal, he said, uh, I'm the most miserable man alive. And he said, I wonder if I'll ever get better. And he said, nothing causes greater anxiety to think that I doubt I ever shall recover from this. Well, he did recover from it. And he went on to become our beloved 16th president, Abraham Lincoln. I was mentioning Henry Fawcett some time back and that hunting trip that as a boy he took and how his father's shotgun discharged and and blinded him. Now, nobody would have blamed Henry if he became bitter. Nobody would have blamed him if he became full of despair. But you know, Henry deeply loved his father and he knew his father loved him. And so he pretended not to despair. He, de- he pretended not to be depressed about it. He pretended to take an interest in life. He pretended there was hope. He pretended to be cheerful. He pretended that he could be useful someday. And you know, something strange happened. It's like the demons of despair were exercised 
And uh, actually, the pretending became reality. Henry Fawcett went on to become a member of Parliament and was so gifted that Gladstone promoted him to be the Postmaster General, which was a position that he made improvements in there in England that remain to this day because he had hope. You know, maybe you struggle with anxiety. Maybe you struggle with discouragement, depression, a number of things. I guess hope begins with salvation. I mean, our hope is in Jesus Christ if we're saved. And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how much money you make, how much fame you have, how much power you wield. If you're not saved, it's hopeless. I'm thinking of an NFL quarterback right now who's won three Super Bowls and MVP rings and, and uh, is a supermodel and everything else, but he acknowledged with his own mouth something's missing. And it's gnawing. And it will be gnawing. It doesn't matter who you are. Because for centuries, mankind has been under the plague of sin. And we have over here God and holiness and righteousness, but we have over here man and sinfulness and iniquity and and vileness and this big chasm in between them. And only the cross of Christ can bridge it and has bridged it. But you must come to, to God and salvation through Christ. The Bible says, For he, that is God, hath made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin for us, and we read it a moment ago, who knew no sin, but here's the rest of the verse, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. The only way the sinner over here can be righteous over here is to come through Christ and have the righteousness of Christ imputed or put upon the record of the sinner. That we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Christ took the cup, took our sin, took it upon Himself, paid the price... And now we can receive the righteousness of Christ on our record and have our sins placed on His record when we come to Him in salvation and we're born again. Only Christ can offer that. Now, there have been other religious leaders, rulers, whatever you might call them down through the centuries, and they have said, I'm it, and follow me, and so on and so forth. And you say, well, what makes Christ different? Well, every one of those religious leaders occupies a grave someplace on the top side of this earth. But the grave of Christ is empty. It's empty. He arose. And He told His disciples He would. You know, the apostles had heard that, but they, they didn't get it. I don't know why they didn't get it. In fact, Judas was so unconcerned about it, he just he sold out. He didn't, he didn't believe it there. Twenty centuries later, in retrospect, we look back and we know what happened. And Jesus Christ is the answer. You know, I read this last week. They're touting this NFL quarterback right now who's having such a great season that in his particular town, they're saying he's more popular than Jesus Christ. That's so foolish. That is so foolish. Really? Kidding. Is Christ your Lord? Have you had a time in your life when you embraced Him and you know that hope because this world has nothing to offer? It's pathetic. It's as shallow as a birdbath. It is pitiful. The devil has nothing to offer. He's doomed like you are if you're not saved. He has nothing to offer. He's not going to bring you freedom or joy. Now, only Christ can bring hope. And that happens at salvation. Now, I'm not standing here today and promising you that there will be no struggles if you surrender to the Father's will. I'm not doing that. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. It's going to be painless. It's going to be simple. But for the first time in your life, you will have hope. And that makes all the difference. Jesus Christ comes alive to you. Have you been saved? Now, if you have been born again, Here's a couple of thoughts. Jesus Christ struggled alone. We don't have to. 
Now we have him to fall back on. The Bible says there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. That's him. Plus you have a, a church family. You don't have to struggle alone. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 4.9 that two are better than one. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow or his friend. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. It's talking about partnership, teamwork, friendship, and not having to struggle alone. So you have a church family. Praise God for that. Secondly, wait on God. I said recently in a message, His timetable is not our timetable. We've got to wait. His plan is not always our plan. His agenda is not always our agenda. His schedule is not always our schedule. We have to wait on Him. Thirdly, Keep your eyes on the Lord, not the circumstances. You say, how are you doing? Well, I'm okay under the circumstances. Well, what are you doing under the circumstances? All right? Don't have your eyes on the circumstances. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Jude 1.24 says, Now unto Him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. Keep your eyes on Him. Unto Him that is able to keep us from falling. Now, we share something in common right now. As, as early 21st century Christians in the United States of America, we have something in common. And that is, there is going to be some valleys between here and the rapture. There's going to be some trauma. There's going to be some, some heartache. And there's going to be some desperation. We know that. We all struggle. We all struggle. But notice again here in Hebrews 5 and in verse 7, it speaks of Christ and it says, even of Him who in the days of His flesh when he had offered up prayers and supplication with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. Now, he still died on that cross, but he got hope from the Heavenly Father. It really sums up our great example in High Priest. I don't know about you, but it's just something about knowing that he went through it too that can help us to finish strong when we struggle at times. Amen. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Puppet Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.